Jungle podcast is raw, it's real, it has zero gimmicks, zero bullshit, and absolutely zero fucks to give. Welcome to the Iron Jungle. This is real, no bullshit, no holds barred, wide fucking open podcast. We've been at this far too long to be fucking around. This is the jungle. Where anything goes, no holds barred. We're going to be talking about the real shit. How to succeed. In a world where you have goals, but there's so much misinformation and bullshit trying to sell you something. This is the informative podcast. And there's no hope behind the jungle. The question is, are you ready? Welcome to the jungle. Welcome to the jungle, baby. Welcome to the iron jungle. Let's go. What's going on, guys and girls? Cyber Monday, Cyber Sex Monday. It is the Vanilla Gorilla Drew Peters over across the screen. Ryan Buckeye here for another great episode. We're talking marketing in consumer packaged goods, basically, or food in general, and how we buy into the. Listen, I come from the space, so I can call it. We buy into the bullshit. That's the space I came from. But you, I mean, there are like slight, and by slight, depending on the size of the company, and depending on how big the. I would say the the council wing is of the Fortune 500 building like mine. Like there are companies who are very extremely careful in terms of marketing claims they make on front of pack, uh, and then there are companies who just don't give a shit. So I will say like preface this by saying like if you're if you're buying a company and they're a smaller company, they don't really give a shit. They kind of stay and do what they want for the most part because not a lot of people from the FDA are having a microscope underneath them. They want to make an example out of big massive companies like you know we'll, we'll say like Pepsi and Coke and General Mills and like some of these big companies putting out a lot of products in the market, but at the end of the day, like there are guidelines in the FDA. There are regulations you're supposed to follow, although they're very loosely followed, but we all buy food every single day. We shop Publix, in your case, down in South Florida, which is a great fucking grocery store, by the way. Um, and up here in, in Minneapolis, I mean, we have, I mean, I won't even name them. Probably, people probably don't even know. We have Hy-Vee's. I don't know if anybody knows what Hy-Vee's are, but those are fucking great. Hy-Vee's great. Yeah, you, well, you're, you're, you're a Nebraska boy. A mid- By the way, be, before we dive into this episode, the fact that you picked the Golden Gophers, Drew, I mean, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. You should know better than to pick against my Badgers. But how many times you have you purchased? How many times team, have you? Yeah. What's that? You got to pick the hot team, the team that's streaking. You have to go with that. They were streaking until they hit the fucking gold mine. That is the Badgers. And the Badgers are going to get killed this weekend. Drew, how many times have you gone to the grocery store and just laughed? laughed out loud at some of the claims you've seen on front of these packages quite frequently most times these days it's just ridiculous and i think it's not i guess the way for me is it's not wrong i guess because if you're going by what the fda tells you versus your own informed intentional thought process on things certain shit may be blatantly just laughable but it's not i guess incorrect it's mm-hmm. it can be deceiving but it's not like harmful like for example a very particular one i remember this a few years ago and this is even before like mega meathead days like even in college i was in uh yeah, actually a science student you go at the store and it had a carnation instant breakfast actually uh-huh. it, yeah and it, it says as much protein as an egg yep i'm like gives a fuck that's like five grams Ooh, mm-hmm. like this is high protein how much protein is an egg and like like people care or like you see the other one um with the high the protein's the biggest trend actually everything's trending oh mm-hmm. high protein high protein high protein I'm like oh i thought protein was bad for your kidneys you fucks right. now it's marketing ploy the other one's like the oscar meyer p3 i see that a lot you see oh high in protein meat cheese and nuts i'm like I wouldn't oh yeah the protein so- box yeah the protein boxes i yeah you know so it's uh, interesting you see kind of trends, and that's one of the ones I've seen emerge as of late. But this is no 
new fuckery. This has been long time fuckery. I like the word fuckery. So we're going to say it a lot today. But it's, it's, it's not incorrect. It's just like, how do you interpret it? What is, I guess, qualifying is in high protein? What is high fiber? What is low sugar? Right. There's some, but then this is often the interpretation of the consumer. And you mm -hmm. nailed the key point there. A lot of times, People bitch about, you know, supplements for saying whatever they want to say. There's, you know, non-FDA regulations, so on and so forth. There is a certain degree. Basically, it has to it, – it's fine, but if it's proven not safe, they'll pull it. But the thing is, too, exactly, larger brands cannot say as much as some of these smaller brands. They shouldn't say some of the things they say because especially with, like, um, supplements, they can go into the area of drug claims, right. which is a big no you don't want to have something that cures something or a drug claim, something that oh, lowers cholesterol levels. Like even a few years ago, Cheerio has gotten in trouble with that, even though they had clinical fucking research in a cool way that the fiber content could, was suggested to help improve heart health and cholesterol. That's seen as a drug claim. That's a perfect example of a big boy getting in trouble for saying things they shouldn't necessarily say. Right. And how they got around with that, they paired the American Heart Association. It was able to put that label on the front so people could intuitively put two and two together. Um, it's interesting because you mentioned protein, and I think the biggest thing is the interpretation point because, like you said, these big companies aren't necessarily wrong. They're following the guidelines. Like when we're at General Mills, we can say if there's five grams of protein per serving, you, could, you couldn't put it on front of the pack. You couldn't put five grams. It had to be double digits, but you could put a good source of protein. You could put that, that claim on the front of the pack. So when the consumer reads a good source of protein, they're probably thinking, this is rich in protein. This is good for me. So they buy it. They eat it. And that could have been – it could be hot dogs – are a good source of protein in that case. Like, you know, this over, overly processed bullshit. But it's also interesting because I think a lot of people don't understand when it comes to protein. If you are a bigger company, there is a test called a PDCOS test, which, I mean, if you're, you're familiar with it within dietary supplements as well, and it's, a, it's a, essentially a rat study. It's weird. But, like, we, uh, the brand that I was on, we refused to do it because we were, like, for animal rights and stuff. But, like, a PDCOS test will verify the protein content in whatever it is that you're trying to sell. What's funny is like a big company like when I was at Mills, if it came back that we were at like 11.2 grams of protein, technically you could list that at 11 grams on a label. But they were so risk adverse, they would go down to 10 grams just to make sure they'd cover their ass. So it's, and I, I, you won't find that in the dietary supplement industry typically ever. I mean, typically within dietary supplements, you guys typically give more than what the label. I mean, if you're a good company, if you're a good company, you, you typically give maybe more than what the label says. But there are the, the bad apples out there. But it's like... A company like Mills, when it came back, at, again, I'm, I'm, I'm making these protein bars, and it comes back at like 12.6 grams of protein. I'm like, I want to put 12 on there. They wouldn't fucking let me. I had to put 11, and I was so pissed about it. I get it, but like at the end of the day, um, I mean, some companies are very risk adverse. Uh, so you're going to see a lot of these claims on pack, like a good source of protein, low in fat, which we're going to talk about, obviously. Um, so it's just the interpretation point as a consumer, you still have the ultimate responsibility to know what these claims mean, to flip the fucking box over or package over and look at the rest of the label. Um, and I think, let me, let me also just say this before I kick back to Drew, like the label on any sort of consumer package good is an approximation. It's not an exact, it's not an exact science. Meaning if, if that bar says it's on the label, it says it's 120 calories and 20 grams of protein. That is an approximation. It's, 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 an, it's an average. It's a law of averages. You could have 16 grams of protein in that particular bar, maybe 100 and, and if I do the math right, like 106 grams of protein or whatever it might be, 104. So that's the biggest thing. Like it, it's, a, it's an ex exact approach to an inexact science, I guess, is a, is a way you could kind of put it into terms. I can't believe I'm actually going to fucking defend the food industry a bit here. But okay, first and foremost, for those reading along at home, Pitagos. What does that mean to you? Explain that. Protein-digested corrective amino acid score is what that means, essentially. So for those that aren't familiar with that, basically it's 
basically essentially the potency of a protein in terms of like how does it actually compare like having a pd cost of less than one means less than optimal compared to other things that are 1.0 ideally you mm -hmm. want to have a 1.0 and honestly this is a bigger thing these days because a lot of these plant proteins yeah. because they're considered an incomplete protein naturally and i'll explain that in a second don't meet pd cost so in other words what that means is if uh, say a protein source whether it be like a good one complementary proteins like rice and beans this is a very complicated protein source. While the plant source may have a decent amount of protein, it may be considered incomplete because it doesn't contain all of the essential right. amino acids and one of them. Therefore, it may be, say, low. I'm throwing out a random amino. Say it's low in lysine. And another one over here is low in another one that has high lysine. Therefore, you eat them together is considered a complementary protein source. So the Pentecost, basically what that means is it, it, when those sources are together, like a plant protein, it makes sure that it has a Pentecost score is corrected that's acceptable. That's the very high level way of putting that. People so, are still confused, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. It, it makes sense. Basically, yeah. it makes sure that you have the correct protein or bioavailability. That's another big word. I'm trying yes. to keep this less science-y because I can talk about shit all day. But the other part, too, when you, to your point, on the protein bar. Obviously, you want to claim the higher protein amount, but in that case, if you don't do 12, you have to go even higher. There's a required overage, which mm -hmm. is fine. It's not so much that they're being safe in terms of making some label claim. There's some variance there if they ever to get tested. One, because you know, I'll come back to the natural occurring thing, but the other part two, um, off the top of my head, I don't know for your space. So for say you were to have a protein bar for say, like a special K protein bar, I know that's not one of your babies, but if you're, or Cascadia Farms, you guys have protein right. bars, right? Yep, I did. I had three, it was plant-based, plant so there was P yeah, it was pea protein and nuts and peanuts or and peanut butter. What was your shelf? Shelf life. Six months, I think. I mean, it was short. It, was, it wasn't super long. I can't remember exactly what it was. Maybe it was nine months. I it, I can't remember. But it wasn't it wasn't super long. Wow. Okay. So honestly, I think and I'm gonna throw everybody on the bus. I don't give a fuck. With protein bars in general, the shelf life is much shorter than they put on the label. But the thing is, too, by the time they get distributed for a channel that size compared mm -hmm. to general meals, it adds shelf life will always be expired by the time they hit the shelf. Bars right. do not age. Let's be real. I don't care what fucking brand you are as a bar. Your bars do not age well. They are, in a way, a food product. They get hard. They get weird tasting. That's fact. The reason that they have that shorter shelf life is for how quickly that protein may degrade. So therefore, what they want to do is that in that time span for when it's produced, heated, cooled, all the type of things, packaged, da, 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 if they're going to test that bar, that bar meets label claim at least up until the expiration date. That's right. the guideline they go off of. So branching into the sports supplement thing, too, Typically, I'll do an overage in all of my products, depending on what the ingredient is. Some things tend to degrade more than others, but you also have to take into account, like say a material is like 98% purity. You need an overage one hit label claim two over the course of two years. If you were to test that product two years later, you still want to have enough product even after degradation of ingredients to make your label claim. That's why there's an overage. Mm -hmm. And it's, once again, it's not required. You could fill into the dot. Oh, that we, we follow guidelines and these label claim day one, but then if you get tested that on the road, you run that risk of not being label compliant. Right. And building in the last thing you were mentioning there, um, you got it. Now I'm losing my straight thought. There's three things I want to cover. Uh, the PDCOS, the label claim protein amount, and then last but not least in terms of just, I guess, uh, general regulation is, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of Wild West out there, um, both for overages, both for requirements, what's considered high protein, low protein, obviously the jurisdiction you played in had a much tighter window. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it, it has come down to like, you know, not being incorrect, but just being like consumer perception. That's yeah. the main thing I'm getting at. It's interesting, too, because uh, for people listening and watching this, there's this thing in, in big consumer packaging, even within our industry, called parenthetical labeling. And that kind of changed the game in terms of some of these bars that came out saying, like, we only use nine simple ingredients or 
uh, the uh, Kellogg's has their RX bar, which is like no BS, five simple ingredients. Well, not not really, because if you're gonna have a, if you have a chocolate chip in your bar, that chocolate chip is comprised of how many ingredients, Drew? Like, I mean, at this point, now we're into a whole different conversation. But for the longest time, companies could actually put like the generalized term of that ingredient. In that case, it'd be a chocolate chip, and then they would list it as a single ingredient. Well, now the FDA says no more. Like you have to take, you have to break them out. And parenthetical labeling no longer exists. So now that same bar that you know a year ago looked like it had five ingredients now has fifteen ingredients, and you're shocked, and you and you you feel you feel like you were just taken advantage of from that company. And it's happening in our industry too, all over. Bro, I'm dying over here. I, I, I don't care if I get emails on this. It's, it's honest, and I'm going to call it out. The Outright Bar, Mark Lobliner. I love you to death, Mark. That bar tastes fucking amazing, but that's a perfect example. When those first came out, peanut butter, mm-hmm. honey, chocolate chips, yep, oats. That was it. But lo and behold, come on, man. You should know better. You've been with the FDA long enough in terms of your supplements and your protein. You know you have to declare things on the label. Right. You have to break out what's in the peanut butter. You have to break out what the chocolate chips are. Chocolate chips aren't growing on trees. You can't magically put a chocolate chip directly in. Right. And that's not a knock against it. It's just like knowing how detailed you have to be to satisfy the criteria of the FDA. Right. Because like, exactly, yeah, you need the people to have the right to know what is components go into, say, chocolate chips. Mm. In terms of people bitching, taking this a step farther, oh, in labeling, how come I want to know how much sucralose is in my, my uh, flavor system? I don't know how much flavors is in here. I want to know this. Well, I'm sorry. I, as a dietary supplement formulator, I'm, I'm more than happy to disclose the exact amount of actives you're getting per scoop um, for dangerous things like caffeine, so on and so forth. But in terms of flavor system, as a guy in these really hats and a flavor chemist, I'm not going to detail you my flavor system because that's proprietary to me. You don't need to know how much flavors in this. It's under... Uh, nowhere near even quote-unquote dangerous amount which is you take pounds and pounds and tons and tons of grams of a substance to be toxic it, it's a non-issue mm-hmm. so throwing a bitch fit because you're worried about the aliens coming away with your little tin hat about sucralose i mean sorry if you don't want to take my product because you don't i'm not going to tell much sucralose in it then fuck off yeah that's not how this works but i i think certain things should be disclosed for health and consumer safety like caffeine or or your himby or things that could have an you know, adverse reaction those are higher risk so right. one thing there's high-risk items, low-risk items. For things that you definitely, if you have a proprietary blend, sometimes we'll see in the past where people will blend everything, but they'll disclose how much caffeine. Mm-hmm. Or they'll say how much Ohimbi, because those are things the consumer needs to know. But in terms of, oh, how much, whatever, creatine, I don't know why you tell somebody unless it's a garbage formula, you know, in that case, just, just tell them. It's not right. a big deal, but I'm sidetracking. But you see, that's the thing. It's like, how what does, what has to be disclosed versus not disclosed? Yeah. Like in a flavor system, what's in it, but you don't have to say the amount. Yeah, and the FDA doesn't tell you you have to put the amount. I mean, they don't say exactly. that. They, the FDA says, Mark, you have to break out this parenthetical labeling. So and I actually talked yep. to Mark about that, too. I said, it kind of sucks. You had to go from, you know, seven ingredients to 14 or whatever it is. You know, at the end of the day, like, if you think about those full ingredients, technically, sure, if if you go buy chocolate chips from the store, you could say it's seven. I mean, but, but in reality, it, it really is 15, 16 ingredients. Not to take anything away from the bar, like you said. It's fucking delicious. Yeah. It's amazing. It um, but, yes, it's, I mean, that's why it's, it's very hard to find an actual protein bar in the market uh, with single-digit ingredients. I mean, unless – you can do it. They, they just don't yep. taste as good as what the Outright Bar is going to taste or the MRE Bar or the BAR or whatever Drew's working on. So, like, if he's working on one, because Drew, Drew seems pretty knowledgeable on this bar stuff. So maybe maybe Drew will come out with, like, a big, big bar at some point in his future. Um, well, done every space, whether it be bars, RTDs, powders, tablets, capsules. You have to know how to do it all, but then there are certain areas I absolutely hate. One of them is bars and RTDs, man. It's a huge pain in the ass. Yeah. I mean, and the, and the thing back to the flavoring system, too, just one last point. When you go to a convenience store and you buy a Diet Coke, they're not telling you what that flavoring system is. I mean, they, they, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fucking prop blend. Like, let me tell you how much caffeine's in a Diet Coke. So, um, I mean, 
get. I, they say, oh, why don't you tell me your flavor system? I'm like, how about you write Pepsi and ask for the flavor? They're going to tell you to fuck yourself. Yeah. Why do I have to tell you different supplements? Like, I'm not taking a product then. I'm like, fine, I don't give a fuck. But right. that's a good – you nailed the example right there. Man. Yeah, so that's – I mean you're going to see companies that do it. At some point, I think like even like Mark Glazer kind of talked about it a little bit. Like, listen, if we're about this full transparency, we're going to own it. Maybe we'll do it someday. But it's also very difficult to do it because within each flavoring system and within each flavor, there's a proprietary blend within that flavor it seems like sometimes too. So it's like how – I mean full transparency is, is – we're at a good point now, and that's why I know we're sidetracking here, but I don't, I don't lose my shit about proprietary blends per se like I used to because I understand a little bit more. Um, uh, at the end of the day, do I like fully transparent? Sure, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that's exactly what's in that container anyway. So, I mean, as it's to say, here's the thing about falling along at home too. Like honestly, here's here's my question. So if I were to tell you whatever arbitrary number, unless you have done hard number crunching and whatever, if you're that renal retentive, I told if you were to look at me and they say, oh, how much citric acid in this? I'm like, oh, there's 1.2 grams per scoop. Oh my God, it's a lot. Is it? Like, I don't know. If I tell you there's 200, 130 milligrams of sucralose per serving, what does that mean to you? Do you actually know what number you're looking for in your head that makes it okay? You just want to have it as a blanket to know how much is in it? Like... I don't, I don't understand the end game. That's the part too. And even then, sometimes, yes, you can condense things. I'll be honest. Full transparency, learning curve for you guys. When you do a flavor system, like say I have, um, for example, I, I'm a big fan of making things like blueberry lemonade. I did a lot of that at ProSups. I have a few things here, a dragon, I mean, blueberry lemonade flavor. It's a great flavor for things that taste funky. It's, it's got bitters, it's got acid, it's got sweetness. It plays well. Within that flavor system, you put natural and artificial flavors or natural flavors depending what concentrated flavors you're using, but then again, you could use two to three combinations of flavors in that block. It may be, oh, blue, blueberry number 300-A-21 with a lemonade flavor 100-200.1 or whatever. Is a consumer going to know what the fuck that means? No. That's why I just put natural artificial flavors or natural artificial flavors. Yeah. So. So we spent some time on protein. Protein, I mean, we could spend a whole episode on protein, but the other, the other big claim that you see a lot is fat-free, low-fat, um, fat being a big thing with, with – we've talked about keto 100 times on this fucking podcast. Um, diet is, is the other, other word for fat-free, it seems like. So that is an interesting – because for a long – I mean, what, like 10, 15 years ago, like fat-free was the big thing. If it was fat-free, you were buying fat-free cottage cheese, fat-free milk, which is skim milk or fat-free yolk, whatever it was. Um, since then, we've learned a lot more about fats. You're a big proponent about, on fats in general, certain types of fats. Um, when it comes to fat-free, consumers still gravitate towards that. They still gravitate towards diet. They think like drinking diet Pepsi is better than Pepsi. It might be in terms of calories for sure, but like at the end of the day, there, there's some stuff there like just because it's diet doesn't mean it's good for you. So I think we, there's a perception that the consumer takes away from seeing like fat-free cream cheese. I can make cheesecake for Thanksgiving and no one's going to get fat. Well, I mean, yeah, that's not true. I mean, it's, shit still happens. I'll be real. And we'll keep it topical. We'll keep it fun here. But for those following at home, sometimes you see something like fat-free with a claim and it, this is fucking ridiculous. So first of all, I'm going to confuse y'all. Fat-free doesn't, all, doesn't always necessarily mean that there's absolutely no fat in a product. Carb-free doesn't mean there's absolutely no carbs in a product. Sugar-free does not mean there's absolutely no sugar in a product. But how can that be? Because if you have less than half of a gram per mm-hmm. serving, you can technically declare it as zero. Yeah. So it could have up to 0.499999999 infinity grams of fat in a serving, but it could technically does contain fat. You have two servings, you could technically be at about a gram. You have four servings of it for those fat-free bars you love so much. You know, you're doubling, tripling, whatever your numbers, it, it adds up over time. Same thing with carbs, sugar, so on and so forth. 
And honestly, I don't think it's that big of a deal. It's like trace amounts. If you're worried about the nine calories from a gram of fat somewhere, you have bigger problems going on in your life. If you're having a gram of fat, I'm sorry. But with things like transaturated fat, that could be an issue. In my opinion, that's a loophole. The FDA is like, because you can have the 0.4 and 999 and like some, say, whatever, like a little Debbie snacks, no, mm-hmm. whatever. Some has trans fats. At 0.499, you have two of them. That's a gram of transaturated fat, transaturated fats. In my opinion, transaturated fats are man-made. That's one that you don't have any reason whatsoever to have in your diet. They're complete bullshit. They're man-made. They're nasty. All they're doing is for shelf life. In my opinion, that's a bad fat. There, everybody gave you a definition of a bad fat. (laughs) But that's the thing, too. Honestly, a good example I use, too, when you look at things, it's such bullshit. Here's one. Think of Cool Whip. One is a chemical shit storm to begin with. Mm -hmm. But two, look at regular classic Cool Whip, right? And you have a fat-free, a low-fat, and like a sugar-free. Yeah. When you look at like say the original, it's got – I don't know off the top of my head. I don't remember. But like a serving of it is like a tablespoon or two and the fat content is like two grams of fat. You look at the, the, the low-fat, it's like one gram of fat. Mm-hmm. It's like the minuscule difference. You're saving a fucking gram and all of the only difference is in like how much it is per serving back a gram. Or sugar-free has a normal fat content but they use a sugar alternative like an artificial sweetener. Or you look at the fat-free, sometimes that has more sugar – but then it has you know, no fat. So that's another reason that segues perfectly into what we're going to talk about next, about when you see things on a label, sometimes when you take something away, you put something else in yeah. because otherwise it's going to taste good. So when you say fat-free, first thing to do, check out the sugar content. Does mm-hmm. it contain more sugar compared to the regular? If you see sugar-free, does it have more fat? If you see no fat, no sugar, okay, what kind of chemical shitstorm am I getting here? Sometimes mm-hmm. it's not bad, but then sometimes you, know, you have to make it taste good. So that, that's the thing. Hundred percent, and I got. We were making a, a no sugar added granola when I was at General Mills. Like, we, so we were using, I think we were using honey as an alternative, or maybe even looking at monk fruit, whatever it was. But like, we had to increase the fat level to make it taste good. Otherwise, it, and, and, and to add moisture back to the product. Otherwise, it tastes like fucking shit. So, you, like to Drew's point, yeah, you take something away. What's the marketing claim? You, what's what's the marketing claim you're going after? You want fat free? Cool. Let's do that. Well, how do we get there? And how do we still make the product taste good? Because if you're there's no reason in 2020 because that's where we're going to be here in like four weeks. To be able to make a product that tastes like shit. There's no reason that any product in the market today should taste like shit. With the flavoring systems that we have, with the science that we have, with food science, every product that we make should taste good somehow. Um, if, you're, if you're a dietary supplement company and you come on the protein bar that tastes like shit, shame on you. Like, shame on you. That should not happen. Uh, or even like a pre-workout, whatever it might be. But that's the thing. Like, yeah, Drew's right on. Like, you take something away, you have to replace it with something. Because you can't just take – it's like – all right, pancakes, or if you have like waffles or pancakes and you take syrup away, you're going to eat them fucking plain? No, you're going to re- replace that syrup with something, right? I mean, this is, I don't know, it's a stupid example. But like you need something to make something taste good. So what are you going to replace and put something in there instead? In that case, me, me being fucking technical here, I'm like, well, how about this? If you're going to have pancakes, make real fucking pancakes from scratch. Use a mix that's not full of a bunch of bullshit. Put some Kerrygold grass-fed butter on there. At least you're using a butter with some nutritional qualities. And if the worst-case scenario, use like an alternative sweetener. Put some honey on there. Some like Manuka honey would be fucking delicious. Plus, you get immune-boosting effects. Is it going to be low sugar? No. But is it going to be better in the best-case scenario, at least getting some health benefits from enjoying some delicious pancakes? Yes. That's the idea. We didn't write this down beforehand, but like the whole topic of sugar is interesting because I think people see high sugars and they lose their shit sometimes, but they don't look to see what the source of the sugar is. Like you just mentioned Manuka honey. Like that's a lot of fucking sugar in a tablespoon of honey. But if you get a product that's using that – what's that? I think it's like 14 grams. 14, yeah, 14 grams it might even be higher. I don't, some honeys are a little bit higher. But like if somebody saw 14 grams of sugar on a label and that was just a tablespoon of Manuka honey, they would lose their shit. They'd be like, oh my god, that's, that's too much. Well, look at the source of sugar. Is it cane sugar? Is it honey? Or are they actually using, like, 
real shitty sugars that they shouldn't be using um, or that you don't want to be used. But there are a lot of sugars that are natural sugars, maple syrup, agave, honey. Uh, I mean, we keep going on and on. That's, that, that's not bad. Cane sugar is not even that bad. Like, I mean, it's a lot better than half the shit that people use. So it's like that's a, that's a thing, too. Like, if you see that on a, on a label and you see it's super high and fat's low, for instance, I mean, you might want to look to see what that sugar content is and where does it, it come from because not all sugars are created equal at all. And, Drew, I mean, I don't know, like, are there other, other stats? Like, if fats are high, right? I mean, to look at the types of fats in the product, right? Turn that product over and look at the types of fats in there. Um, is there, because a lot of people are, it's funny, all the consumer sessions that I sat in, you'd ask them, like, what do you need for protein? Well, it's got to have double digits. Okay. What do you need for fiber? At least seven grams of fiber. Are you fucking kidding me? I guarantee you, you don't even know how much fiber you're supposed to have. Where did you come up with the seven grams of fiber number? And then fats, are, fats and sugars are always, like, single digits, single digits. But they don't know why. And that's the biggest part. Like, consumers aren't educated enough to know. But, but protein has to be double digits. They know that for a fact because that's kind of like where the marketing claims would come from. But, like, single digits fat, single digits carbs is another one, too, because carbs are the devil, apparently. So, like, as a consumer flipping over that pack within fats, like, what should they be looking for? Honestly, in the, as a topic in whole, fats, carbs, sugar, whatever, so on and so forth, I think it's once again kind of like what individual does you need? Like if you're talking about something that's like, say, honey, it's clearly going to be nothing but sugar and low fat. But then again, there's other considerations too. Like what's the, like how does it have impact blood sugar response? Is it low glycemic, high glycemic? At the end of the day, it is fucking sugar. It is fucking carbohydrates. Then again, like what is the context of it? Like honestly, oh, for, oh this only has 25 grams of sugar, but it's soda. You're literally doing nothing but drinking sugar. Mm-hmm. So that's a good, a good idea to get the source there. Or if you're looking at something like, say, for the fat content, a good example here I love is like something like avocado. Like yeah. it's, it's pure fat and fiber and, and some carbs, but mainly it's fats. Or if you look at coconut, it's literally a nut. It's pure fat. But then again, it's going to be a combination of lauric acid, medium chain triglycerides. Contrary to popular belief, coconut is only, I think, about 60%, if that, MCT with the remaining chunk of that being a saturated fat called lauric acid. So it's not like pure, like using pure MCT oil. You're getting a good significant amount of a fat, like a 40% that's not actually MCTs, mm-hmm. FYI. I know it's a random tidbit there, but medium chain triglycerides are, are processed differently. They're, they're shorter chain. They technically have 6.8 calories per gram or the nine. They're very hard to store. Their body rapidly burns them as energy. They almost act like carbohydrate, but I digress. So that's something too when you look at the fat source something what kind of fats is it rests to a point there but then again not everybody on the fly is going to know oh is this good fat or bad fat shit you know if they, if they balance of everything like if uh as rule of thumb if i'm looking at a protein bar i think i'd like to have the sugars on the lower side unless once again it's like thinking naturally occurring like honey at the end of the day i'm more concerned about my overall carb content i'm not worried so much like oh there's 20 grams of carbs but five of sugar that's too high or oh it's 30 grams of carbs and say you know 20 grams of sugar okay that might be a little bit high for my taste but then again it's from honey is from sugars mm-hmm. fat content i mean depending on how many calories you need if you're looking to get like a meal replacement in I'm not advocating this, but you know, some of those metrics, colossal big 100 bars are mm-hmm. fucking delicious. It's 400 calories. So to make they are bar, good. They are really good. <laughs> they're delicious. Yeah. So in bulking season, or if I'm on the road, I need some calories so I don't lose fucking weight. I mean, I'll pound one of them. They taste delicious. You know, as a pre-workout meal, sure. Mm-hmm. But anywhere, any from like, you know, eight to 10 grams of fat, like 40 to 50 grams of carbs and 30 grams of protein, roughly. It's a solid, it's a meal replacement. So yeah. depending what you need, it's kind of more your guideline. But there are some stipulations like, is it coconut? Is it honey? Is it agave? Whatever. Oh, I, don't, great, I, think that's, I hope that helps. A good example of that is like, take a Quest bar whose big thing was like three grams of net carbs, which we'll talk about net carbs here next, and then the outright bar, right? So like the outright bar is honey and peanut butter. 
that is going to be fat, that is going to be carbs, and then there's, uh, you know, MTS isolate apparently is in there with the peanut butter to give like 15 to 17 grams of protein. So, like, not that it's bad for you at all, but you're going to have a lot more fat content and carb content in the outright bar because it's using honey and peanut butter than you are in this, whatever the Quest bar is nowadays. I don't even know what the fuck it is anymore. <laughs> I can't even tell you what it is. So, but, like, people are going to gravitate towards that Quest bar because it's got three grams of net carbs. Not to say they're bad, per se. I mean, I'm just not a huge fan of them. But, like, that's what Quest did. That's why Quest sold for a fucking billion dollars. That's why they're as big as they are. But that's two bars in the same space protein bars that are completely different where the perception could be taken completely out of context because you don't know what you're looking for or you're not sure what you're looking at. But Drew, net carbs. Net carbs, baby. Tell me about net carbs. So net carbs basically is is like this whole actual amount of quote-unquote active carbs. So say if you have something that's considered indigestible like fiber, it doesn't even though it technically has a calorie count, it's not counted traditionally as carbohydrates. That's actually where requests got in trouble for back in the day. I'll explain this in a second here. So basically if you have like a simple math – 10 grams of, uh, uh, let's do a number, 20 grams of carbs in a product and say 12 of it is fiber. Therefore, that means you have eight grams of net carbs. In a case there with like a shitty protein bar, um, or you had like say 20 grams of carbs and you have uh, 10 grams of fiber and five grams of sugar alcohol, because sugar alcohols are also subtracted from net carb count, you have five. Hopefully this is a simple on the fly mm-hmm. now. So basically, oh, there's five grams of digestible carbohydrates. The quick side note on this is that Quest initially used to make their bars with something called IMOs, isomaltooligosaccharides. I wanted you to say I, the word. That's why I left you. <laughs> you talk is yeah, fucking mispronounced. Isomaltooligosaccharides. Say that five times fast. Yeah, exactly. IMOs. Essentially, it's also called by the brand name Vita Fiber. It actually is a very inherently sweet and uh, very nice textured um, syrup. It's very syrupy. It, it looks like honey. It's delicious. And it's a great flavor component as well as considered an indigestible fiber. This actually got in trouble because they found out this non-digestible fiber actually was digestible. Because interestingly, I oh, – crap. I actually found the original patent packet on this a few years ago. It's actually a pretty fascinating read on the study they did, and I even fucking circled the issue they missed on it. Basically, um, they did a saliva test for if it was the carbohydrate trailly broken down or or, um, uh, by saliva, and they they didn't have a reaction. And I think they did – I want to believe a gut test as well where they broken down. But I think it, what they didn't test was, I think, in the intestine and the actual absorbable content. I don't remember which one they didn't do, but they did A and B, or they did A and C, but not the middle one. I'd have, I'm like, I'm going to circle back on this. I don't remember. But lo and behold, up to 85% of the actual carbohydrate content for the fiber fiber was, in fact, digestible. So if you have 10 grams of carbs, you're turn out to have 8.5 yeah, grams yeah. of carbohydrates. And so, therefore, they weren't they weren't really meeting label claim that bar you had had five grams of carbs might have had fifteen. You know, it was it was inaccurate. That's kind of the backstory on that. I apologize, not remembering off the top of my head, but fuck, man, there's a lot of a lot of moving pieces there. Yeah, well, I mean, that there, I mean, you'll see more and more food companies are starting to kind of get in trouble with certain different things too. I think G Butter just got called out uh, for something recently in the last two weeks. I don't know the full story, but I know um, that came out. There was uh, you, you and I kind of laughed about this too. The that peanut butter that was coming out from from Project AD over there, Anabolic Designs, which which had like no digestible fat, and uh, I don't know if there's no digestible carbohydrates too. And they got called out, and then they retracted it, and I think it's back out in the market now. I have no idea. What's out? And the thing is, it's fucking delicious, but you're like, how can this possibly taste that good for being true to label? So mm. I think it's still labeled like that. It's still marketed like that. And once again, however the enzymes or whatever they're still claiming, uh, I haven't gotten a stray answer from Joe. Joe's an awesome dude. He has a great product line. It's just this one's a little far out there <laughs> um, in terms of being believable. But then again, it's like at the end of the day, I, I, I take no sides here. You have a pissing match between a guy that was mislabeling his protein bars. Oh, 
and somebody that's, uh, you know, making a non-denisable fat protein butter. It's like, you know, the pot calling the kettle black because you both have some issues in your labeling. Let's put it that way. But it is what it is, man. And I hope to God, you know, it is. What I personally, would I risk taking in the contest prep with my calories? No, I don't trust it. But if I'm in an off season, I'm like, hey, I'm going to have this peanut butter as a snack. Sure, I don't give a fuck, you know. Yeah. YOLO. I guess the moral of this whole episode is like, I mean, take everything with a grain of salt. If you're skeptical, you know, look into it. Don't just believe everything you read. Um, but at the end of the day, the biggest thing is like the responsibility falls on you as the consumer to turn that package around. Or, I mean, I wanted to bring up like farm, farm, uh, <laughs> farm fresh versus like, uh, you know, when it comes to salmon, farm salmon versus uh, natural like Atlantic salmon. What? So one of the best fucking things I've seen. I don't know if it's best or worst or most appalling. You know, so you'll see things that are true, and then we it's a whole episode like, oh, what cage-free hens mean that it's starting to cage? It can be stuffed in a room with no access, or or like free reins means it can go outside, or grass-fed, grain-fed, whatever for chickens. Then you have things like fish. You have you know farm-raised and wild-caught. You have buffalo or beef as a grass-fed, so on and so forth, or in fed grains. The biggest what the fuck thing I've seen in the last year, and I still it's amazing to me because I I can't believe they actually put this. Uh, a certain company in Florida released an Omega 369 product and said it has farm, uh, no, it has a free range fish in it. <laughs> yeah. Free range fish. Now picture this. What does free range fish mean? Does that mean that they can, they're, they're, I'm picturing salmon with legs like buffalo on a prairie right now. Yeah. But I'm like, how the fuck do you get free range fish? You mean wild caught? Because how do you have a free-range fish? Unless it's like a wildly raised, like in a tank, but has access to go to the ocean. I don't know how the hell you'd have a free-range fish. That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I don't know. That that shows the fuckery that we have in this industry. A lot of fuckery in this industry, the big industry. um, So just some things to think about next time you go to the supermarket, grocery store, whatever the fuck you call it, um, to to check things out. If you guys have any questions on anything you see too, like obviously post a picture of it over at Facebook. You can follow us there. Iron Jungle Podcast will definitely, we, we like to see some of the shit. Some of the stuff is just uh, remarkable to us. And it's, it's more remarkable, and I shouldn't fault them, but it's more remarkable to me that people buy into some of the shit. Um, that, they, that they think, like your point before, like as much protein as an egg, and they just assume like, hey, this is a good alternative to an egg. Mm, okay. Think about it, people. Think about it. So follow us on all our social media channels. We are over at Facebook. You can stream this on iTunes, Spotify. Watch via YouTube. He's at Vanilla Gorilla Drew on Instagram. You can check us out at Fitness Informant. Love to hear some more topics, but until next week, it's the big man himself. You look good today, Drew. You're looking sharp after the long weekend. So always, always cleaned up nicely like a young man. It's his haircut, man. That's the secret. Every two weeks, get that shit done. That's, I, ain't, I ain't got the budget for that. I ain't got the budget for that. Until next time, y'all. Thanks for tuning in.